Hey friends, in honor of National Random Acts of Kindness Week, that's a thing, and Valentine's Day, we want to spread a little bit of love. So if you head to today's show notes, you will find a ready-to-go Starbucks gift card code for you to have a treat on us. And if you want to join in in the spirit, you can reload the card and spread the love yourself. Thanks so much. We hope you have an awesome day and an awesome week. Adversity guides us to the best things in life. Because when we're in the middle of the problem, or we're in the middle of the, you know, you're in the middle of the storm, there are just so many voices coming at you from so many different angles that you really have to find a way to weed your way through the noise to be able to hear your voice again. Because what living fully is, is it's truly making decisions, whether it's in a moment of crisis, like you've just talked about, Hannah, or whether it's in a moment just of, you know, making decisions in your everyday life. It is very much about connecting to your priorities, to the way that you want to live your life, to those things when making decisions. So you're not just going through life, through the motions, making random decisions, not being grounded in anything that has to do with the way that you want to live. Welcome to the Living Centered Podcast, where we enter into honest conversations about pursuing a more centered life, rediscovering, reclaiming, and rooting in to who we truly are. I'm your host, Miles Edcox. I'm your host, Lindsay Nobles. And I'm your host, Mackenzie Vogt. Hey friends, today's guest is going to bring you a wake-up call to examine the way you're living. Author, YouTuber, podcaster, and dreamer Mallory Irvin joined Hannah and I to talk about the twists and turns of her journey and how they really cemented her passion to help people live more fully alive. For me, it was a great reminder to push past fine and move towards fullness. So often I think when we're living our lives just existing, going along, moving along, Everything looks great from the outside, and we're really missing out on the beauty, joy, and passion that lies on the other side of what we at OnSite call the work, the leaning in, the exploring, the getting curious, and sometimes making the hard choice to throw our hands up and seek out change. Whether from the pain of our past or fear, we simply settle for less than what we all deserve, to live wholehearted, connected lives. To look at Mallory's life eight years ago, you would think everything was going great. She was a part of the Miss America pageant, Miss Kentucky. She was a three-time contestant on The Amazing Race. She seemed to have it all together. But as she shares in this interview and her new book, Living Fully, appearances aren't always what they seem. Mallory shares the reality of living for appearances and how she moved through addiction, heartache, and really embraced a whole new way of living and a whole new way of seeing the world. I can't wait for you to hear this message that she has today. Meet our friend, Mallory. Welcome, everyone. We are so excited to have Mallory with us today. And Mallory, I just want you to start because you really do, across everything that you touch, you're encouraging people to live a bigger, fuller life. And I would love for you to just kind of define for us what is living fully. What does that look like in our lives? Oh, you're starting right off with a big question. So, <laughs> I love it. These are, this is what on-site does. Yes. They just go We just there, go right, right to right it. Right off the yes. bat. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, in my story, which I know we'll talk about today, mm-hmm. you know, I went through this big kind of crash and burn after all of this really early success that I had, I'd had in my early 20s. And it opened my eyes to a different way to live. Mm-hmm. It opened my eyes to this just totally new way to live when with facing adversity and going through these lows. You know, I'd always thought that the absence of bad was a qualifier for good in my life. I'd always thought that just because nothing was going wrong, that it, it was a good life. And what I realized when I went through what I did was that I wasn't tapping into this whole other level of living and joy. And so living fully was kind of born through that. And then, of course, you know, the past eight years, I am just a mom. I'm growing like a hundred businesses. I'm just in the (laughs) middle of busy life, like a lot of people are. And so I want to live in a way where I'm not just keeping my head above water. I'm not just, just living life through the motions. I'm not just kind of happy with this baseline way of living. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly reaching for more. And it's a little bit harder kind of on the ladder. It's it's really easy. I feel like not easy, but you know what to do if there's the red flag, like the addiction or something that you need to fix in your life mm-hmm. to live a better way. But when you're like I am, or like I'm sure you guys are just in the everyday and you're just in the middle of living life, when you have to be the one to choose to kind of pull yourself up and 
and and open door number two, even though door number one is more familiar and easier, that is living fully to me now. It's um, and it's so much of a better way to live than easy and comfortable, and the way that we're used to. Mm-hmm. You know. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I love what you said about the absence of good not being or the absence of bad not being the qualifier for good. Cause yeah. I think that is a barrier that keeps so many people from the work that we do at on site around mental health. And um, they think if I'm yes. not in crisis, if my life isn't falling apart, if I didn't have this massive loss or trauma in my life, which so many people do, and that's great to have the access to resources like therapy too. But so many people hold themselves back from qualifying as deserving yes. a life of more, as deserving a life of purpose and connection, and fulfillment. Um, and it just feels like something is missing for so many people, but they don't always necessarily put themselves in the arena or give themselves the next steps to live a life of more. And so I love that. That's what your work is consumed around for. It just really allows everyone to see that they deserve it, that they are worthy of that, whether they have these qualifiers or not. So well said. And that's, it's, it's because you guys are on site and you are dealing with the people that I'm speaking to in the second half yeah, of that yeah. book. Cause I went to on site. I've, I've been to, uh, for the, the listeners, I know that you guys, obviously you like on site and the things <laughs> that they do there because you're listening to yeah. this podcast. So I went to on site. Um, it's been almost a year now. Yeah. And what's so amazing about on site is you don't have to know what your quote unquote problem is. Mm-hmm. You don't have to know what's holding you back. When you arrive there, on-site in the community, it's just like they wrap their arms around you and they say, we're going to help you figure that out. Because there's something, you know there's something in the back of your mind or else you wouldn't have signed up and you wouldn't have arrived and checked into these beautiful cabins and (laughs) put your name tag on and showed up to the first first, uh, lesson. But they kind of guide you to figuring that out. And in Living Fully, I guide people because I think there are certain things that you that are absolutely keys to living fully and i've learned them through the past you know several years of my life whether it's through my time in recovery whether it's through just my time living a busy life and choosing to live a different way whether whatever season i'm in i learned a different tool kind of to this living fully new way to live hmm. so in the book each chapter I'm from a family of storytellers, and I just love like a rich story to guide a lesson. So I tell this story from my life and then the thing that I learned, because you guys are surrounded by a bunch of experts there at OnSite that have, you know, they're therapists and they have all this amazing training. I'm just a person who has been through this and know exactly what worked in my own life. I'm a person that was in the trenches of trying to, A, first like save my life. And then trying every day to to live in this new new way. And I share these lessons kind of from that point of view, from I know these work. Yeah. I want you to do this, mm-hmm. but not in a like I'm teaching you. These are your teaching points. And this is um, which I feel like is very much like what you guys do there at OnSite. Yeah, I think something that we say a lot at OnSite is that you already have everything inside of you to find the answer. But it's about having someone guide you through that. And I... I thought a lot about that when I was reading a section of your book where you talk about the noise around us and how that can really mm-hmm. keep us stuck and um, get a, like how we can get in our own way from doing what we know is true and connecting back with our inner selves. Yes. And so what did that look like for you? What are some of the, I would say, one of the benchmarks along the journey to really learn how to connect back into that inner knowing and tune out the voices that may have been leading you down the wrong path or keeping you stuck or getting in your own way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it that you talked about that chapter. So that's toward kind of the end of end of the book. So first, the first section of this book is kind of like what happened. This is my wake up call. This is what happened in my life that led me yeah. on this journey of living fully. Then the second one's kind of like this stay awake. And then it's just kind of how do you maintain living fully? Yeah. yeah. And I wrote a whole chapter on this noise because life is so super noisy mm-hmm. yeah. right now. Yeah. It is so noisy because we've got cell phones in our hands all the time. There's constant noise from other people's lives, from people around us, from our work. From It is just, we live in a time where there's so much that you have to weed through to even hear your own thoughts, to feel your own feelings, mm-hmm. to, to know the things that you already know again. Yeah. And I toiled over writing this book yeah. because I was so obsessed with getting the message right because I knew the change that had been made in my own life because I heard what I needed to hear correctly. So my perfectionistic tendencies certainly came to the surface while I was writing this book. But what I really noticed as I was writing it too was 
we have to work to to remember and to know the things that we already know, yeah. to know the things that work in our own lives, to remember the tools that we've used before mm-hmm. that have helped us through something, to know so many, th- to know and remember that adversity guides us to the best things in life. Because mm-hmm. when we're in, the, we're in the middle of the problem or we're in the middle of the, you know, you're in the middle of the storm, there are just so many voices coming at you from so many different angles that you really have to find a way to weed your way through the noise, to be able to hear your voice again, to be able to hear your thoughts again. Because what living fully is, is it's truly making decisions, whether it's in a moment of crisis, like you've just talked about, Hannah, or whether it's in a moment just of, you know, making decisions in your everyday life. It is very much about connecting to your priorities, to the way that you want to live your life, to those things when making decisions. So you're not just going through life, through the motions, making random decisions, not being grounded in anything that has to do with the way that you want to live. Yeah. yeah. I love how closely that aligns with what we do at OnSite. And um, I think Living Fully and Living Centered are so congruent with one another. Mm-hmm. And so I love that parallel. Um, but even in in the workshop experience that you experienced, I think one of the biggest takeaways for people is removing that noise. Yeah. Um, like they get to yes. go on campus and this can seem a little intimidating to a lot of people, but we, we don't allow phones on campus. And so you are completely removed from the everyday distractions of life. We remove the distraction of your job title. We ask that you don't share what you do during that time. Which I love. Was that hard for you? It was, it was really hard for me because especially me, my life is very intertwined in what I do. I'm yeah. a lifestyle influencer. So it was really hard for me. And in fact, I didn't know that rule. And I remember the first, um, we walked into the oh, gift no. shop. And <laughs> I didn't even realize, and I've like done so much work around removing this obsession with titles and with, yeah. you know, this old person that I was. You, you'll you read it in the book. My attachments to being Miss Kentucky and doing Miss America and the amazing race and the way that I look, all of these things were yeah. deep-seated, yeah. deep-rooted. Yeah. So I've really come a long way with that work. But I walked into that gift shop and I met this girl and we were just talking. I was like, what do you do in New York? She said, I don't think we, I don't think we can say. And I was like, <laughs> we can't say. And I can remember just having this like dawn on me moment of, A, oh my gosh, you're doing it again. Like you've done so much work around yeah, this. And yeah. It is so easy to fall back into totally. that, whether you're introducing yourself mm-hmm. as, you know, I, I remember when I used to introduce myself back when I was in my days of just a, a slave to achievement and accolades. Mm-hmm. I can remember I needed in the first 30 seconds of that conversation for someone to yep. know yeah. these things that I had done. I could not show up just as myself. I had to let them know those things because I was like, they're not even going to want to have a conversation with me if they don't know these things. Like this is what they need to know before this conversation even starts. And although I don't introduce myself like that anymore, I've you know, that that was a prime example. I found myself asking that that girl in the gift shop, what what do you do yeah. so that you can have common ground and conversation mm-hmm. and know, okay, I need to know where you stand and who you are. Mm-hmm. And what we do, yes, it is part of who we are, but it's mm-hmm. not, you know, how many times do we have to relearn that in our lives that it's like, it's not yeah. who we are. Uh, what we do is not who we are. So I yeah. really love that OnSite makes that rule. Yeah. We say something you may have heard there is that um, you are a human being, not a human doing. And so, yes, we do things. And those things are things we're proud of. Like, I love yeah. that I work at OnSite. I want to talk about that. And mm-hmm. I think it's very okay yes. to have these identifiers. Um, but when we remove it, like, who it, who am I and what do I bring to the world? What makes me become alive or full? Um, so if you were even yes. to strip away some of your amazing background and experience, who who's Mallory? How would you describe yourself as a human being? Oh gosh, a different every day. Yeah. I um I love that you just use the word identifier because it's like identifier is so different than identity. It used yeah. to be my identity that I was Miss Kentucky and that I'd done Miss America and that I was on reality TV. It was my identity being a yeah. public person, being this certain type of personality. When you turned on your TV, you could see. But now, and after doing, you know, all of this work for almost 10 years now, I know that. A, if we get too attached to those identifiers, that they yeah. do become our identity. And that and and it gets confusing because then you forget your real identity. So, you know, now I am a person who 
truly wants to share my experience to help people live the way I learned to live. Mm-hmm. I'm a mother of two, soon to be three, this summer. Congrats. I saw that. So exciting. Thank you. Who is very, um, I keep using the word obsessed, but I am obsessed with mm-hmm. living out my legacy in the in the day-to-day. As mm-hmm. a 30-something-year-old mom, I want to for that to be in, for, in the forefront of my mind. I want to think, is the way that I'm parenting my children, the way I am with my husband, the way I'm running my business, am I living my legacy now? I'm not mm-hmm. a person that wants to think of my legacy at 65 or 85 or think about the way that I want to be remembered at the end of my life. Yeah. I want to live my days like that. Mm-hmm. I'm also a person now who is not afraid of adversity. I used to be, like I said in the beginning, like the absence of bad was my qualifier for a good life. Right. I was like, as long as nothing bad's going on and everybody around me is happy, this is good. Yeah. Why open door number two? Because door number one, I know what's behind it, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm a person now that will open door number two. I'm a person now that wants to open door number two because I know that the best people among us, um, and I know that in my own life, When I have been through adversity and unexpected and things that I didn't really want to face because they Mm -hmm. were hard, on the other side of that is where a whole nother level of joy and a whole nother level of just richness in your life lives. Mm -hmm. So who I am today is a person that um, faces adversity almost with a smile on my face and sometimes with gritted teeth, I'll say, (laughs) thank you, God, for what I'm experiencing, because I know it's going to lead me to somewhere even better. Yeah. 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 Thank you for introducing yourself that way. It's so uh, human to experience that. And I think especially for people that are, have a public life or are seen as an influencer, I I love the idea of destigmatizing that and just bringing humanity to to who you are in that. So thank you for sharing that. Thanks for asking that. I think there was so much curiosity in what you were talking about. And I think that's one of the greatest tenets of doing the work that we help people and facilitate and encourage people to, to do it on site. But even the work that you encourage people to do within themselves yes. is getting curious about what if it could be better? What if it could be more? Mm-hmm. What if it could be bigger? And um, what did your life look like right before you decided to do some of this work and get curious and choose the better over the good enough? Because often I think that transition from, well, this is good enough and it's working. And yeah, there are some things that are off in my life, but I am not acknowledging that because this is good enough. And the better Mm -hmm. often requires that we look at what's not working. We look behind the door to say, what is impacting this? What is the adversity that's informing this? Because it's it's often harder to do that. So what was your life right before you made the choice of like, I'm going to do this hard work? So the first time I chose to do the hard work, Mm -hmm. it wasn't so much a choice. I was the person with a red flag flashing. Yeah. You know, there is living fully in kind of two different contexts. Mm -hmm. Because if you have a drug addiction or Mm -hmm. something, if someone's having an affair or if there is deep-rooted dishonesty in relationships, there are things that are red flags that you absolutely 100% have to take care of. There is no way to get to a full life unless you take care of that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I know a lot of people that go to on-site. Some people are in recovery. Some people are not in recovery. I know that you guys are very familiar with programs like that because I know that on-site has milestones. And my life, so I had just come off of, I'm in my early 20s. I just done Miss America in one, one year, run up in Miss America, got cast for The Amazing Race, did The Amazing Race, and did an all-star season of The Amazing Race. And I'm 25, 26. So I was not only having these big successes, but everybody else could see these successes too. Mm. Everybody, I'm from this tiny town in Western Kentucky. I grew up on a farm with 23 first cousins. I was always a leader. I was the oldest of all of these kids, always an achiever, a leader. So this really fed into you're doing it right. You yeah. are d- d- making everybody proud. And all of these successes, especially being so public and living this life and, and all of these things that people could see, that's where my life started to take a turn. And I'd always been a good girl. I'd never had issues with you know substances or anything. Mm-hmm. But... I was starting to have trouble feeling like I was just so, I needed to achieve and I needed to accomplish and I needed something to top that year in my life. 
And I was getting a little bit like I was starting to spiral and spin. Yeah. And I had, a, you know, as a lot of these stories start, I had a doctor prescribe me some prescription medications that I thought were totally fine. Doctors giving them to me. Prescription medication for some people are life-giving, life-changing. They need them. I did not. Mm-hmm. I was prescribed something that kept me up that I did not need. And then eventually I couldn't sleep at night. So, yeah. of course, they give me something to help me sleep. For the next few years, I spiraled and started taking more and more, way beyond what a doctor was prescribing me. So I developed this substance abuse problem. Mm-hmm. And at the end of this kind of spiral that happened after all these years of success, I can remember a doctor looking at me and nobody around me really knew. They knew something was off with me, but they didn't know what was going on. And a doctor looking at me and saying, if you, I don't know what you're doing, but if you keep doing this, you will not live much longer. Hmm. And I thought to myself, you know, I've lived a good life and I think I'd rather go out like this than go out telling people that I have an issue Hmm. like this, that I was embarrassed of and ashamed of. And just felt was so far from the person that I was. And thankfully, like uh, you would hope when you have a problem that's gotten out of control, people stepped in and helped me. And my Mm. parents were around me one weekend and were like, Mm. something's off. We've never had a person in our family go through anything like this. They literally had to Google like programs Mm. and they didn't know what to do with me. But luckily, you know, there was a place that did. And Mm. I fought it for for a long time, but I didn't really have a choice. And I was kind of at the end of my rope. And So that decision was made for me in that instance. I I showed up there and I thought, you know, they're going to take my blood and they're going to see I don't do illegal drugs. I don't belong here. And not only did I belong there, but I stayed (laughs) for 30 days. And at the end of my 30 day stay there, they recommended extended care for me. So I was I was there for almost five months. Mm. And when I made the choice, though, was after that 30 days there. okay, your sobriety, like check. Mm-hmm. Who knows? I probably would have just stayed sober out of spite. I hadn't dealt with anything that got me there. It's, yeah. The substances are never the problem. You know, right. the, the issue that has manifested is never the real issue. There's always something underneath it. Mm-hmm. And in 30 days, they can really only, they're stripping away the substances, showing you how to live again. And at the end of that program, when they recommended extended care, and I just fought them and I said, I'm fine. I am everything that you wanted me to be. I realize I had an issue. I've taken care of that issue. I'm done. Send me home. Mm-hmm. And um, that was really the point in which I had to make a choice because I knew that there was something underneath all this that had really mm-hmm. led me down this path that I needed to face and explore. So I could have chosen just to be fine and just to deal with and put a Band-Aid on the problem that was the main problem. Or I could choose the the harder path that I didn't know what was on the other side of that door, which was doing this deeper work. And I think in living fully, that's that's really the key to it. Yeah. It's choosing like this this next layer and this this fuller life. And the two biggest things that I took away from treatment were the things that I learned in extended care. Um, mm. I opened the whole book with this this uh, they took out my hair extensions for the first time in ten years. I had permanent hair extensions. And it's almost this comical story of this low that I hit that was the lowest low I'd ever hit in my life when they took that last piece of hair out of my hair. I had an out-of-body experience. Yeah. That is how attached I was to the mm. to this old way that I was, to my appearance, to this, mm-hmm. this hair. And I did a lot of work around that there. And that was one of the reasons mm-hmm. that I think I'd gotten out of control with the, the things that ended up causing the red flag. And the other thing was, I had this last shred of identity, which was, you know, they have this uh, this chapel every Sunday. And I'm a singer. I've always been a singer my whole life. And I would sing at chapel every Sunday. And that was the one last thing, my talent, that kind of set me apart, that made me feel special, that made me feel. Mm. And they knew what they were doing with me at treatment because they took that privilege away from me, mm. made me stop singing. So I had nothing. And I felt just like everybody else. And um, I did a lot of work around truly showing up as the person that I am without a single shiny thing, even something that can seem good, like a talent or a gift. Or mm-hmm. There are so many things in our lives that we cling to that aren't bad. That wasn't yeah. a bad thing. And I did a lot of work around that. So that, that was a long way to answer your question, Mackenzie. I'm sorry. But no, I loved it's it. it's important to the story because 
living fully will look different for a person that has a red flag. You have to, that's where it almost gets chosen for you sometimes. Yeah. Or you mm-hmm. have to make the hard decision. And I really admire people who can choose that path mm-hmm. on their own. I, mm-hmm. I don't think I would have. I think I, I don't think I'd be here today if someone wouldn't have stepped in for me. But when I continued to do the work after the sobriety was kind of a thing that I'd taken care of, that was when I was like, there's a different way that I want to live. Yeah. And I'm going to face this and it's going to be hard. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what's on the other side of it all. And that was when my life really changed and, mm-hmm. and took off. Yeah. yeah. I love that because that's so relatable for all of us. I like how you say you've written it kind of for different people, but whether we use a substance to cover up our pain or not, we all use something to medicate we and use, yes. use something to, to just numb and tune out. And yeah. and like I like how you said, even things that can be good or things that appear mm-hmm. good, like a talent or for me, yeah. I use a ton of workaholism. Like I, I find value oh, me too. in this yes. position and, and overachieving and all these things. And a lot of things that we use to medicate are praised. Like my yeah. whole life, that was a good job, Hannah. Exactly. Like, Exactly. You're doing great. You're really strong. Right? That you're so reliable. Like all these things, but I was just using it as a way to tune out all my pain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that you said, like, yes, uh, detox or rehab got you clean and sober. Um, but then, what did you need to do to continue to care for yourself? And and really, for probably the first time, really encounter that life of more, that life of fullness. Yeah. Um, because I yes. think that's where a lot of times our thought process can stop short. It's like, but I'm good now. Like I'm okay. But um, so many of my friends that are in recovery, um, they also agree that like, yes, all these different tools and resources are so helpful in your recovery process. This needs to get you clean. This needs to awaken your mind to say, I'm Mm -hmm. sober now. But then what's, what's underneath that? Cause if, and whether it's sober from a, uh, a substance or for the first time being sober, like it was scary to have the first time for me to quit working too hard. <laughs> like yeah. I felt so empty. Um, and so what's beneath that? And it always like goes so back to our past. And um, on site, we say you repeat what you don't repair and you can't mm-hmm. heal if you don't feel. And so we have to go back and repair these old wounds um, that are informing the ways that we're going to cover up, hide, medicate, and just numb out from the reality of life. And when we yes. do, we get to experience this fullness that you're talking about, this fullness that you're, I love yes. that you're obsessed with this mission of getting people <laughs> to embrace this fullness. And we just want everyone to experience that, that life of better. And doesn't mean life is going to be easy. doesn't mean you're not going to be faced with adversity. I'm sure you can even speak to that, like mm-hmm. sense embracing this life, how have you seen yourself engage with difficulty or hardship or adversity after embracing this lifestyle? What does that look like for you? Uh, It was so much different. Um, I think if like, if I were speaking to the the girl that was standing there at at a treatment center, a few years after I'd done all of these amazing things that was so scared and so empty and so broken, if I could say, hey, in eight years, you are going to be doing Good Morning America and these podcasts. You will have written a book. You will be literally guiding, like these millions of people will follow you mm. and your life will look so much different. I think if I'd been standing there, I would have felt a lot of something that I didn't feel then. I would have felt a lot of hope mm. and I would have felt much better about taking that first shaky step into door number two that I did not know what was behind. So now, having been on the other side of that, anytime I face adversity, I mean, who wants to face adversity? Even though I know, oh my gosh, there's going to be something beautiful on the other side of this, it's still, there's a twinge of it just being like, ugh, dang it. Like, I don't, mm. I don't want to walk through totally. it. Totally. I don't want to learn so, that lesson. I, yeah, I just think that um, now, having been on the other side and knowing what's on the other side of this hard stuff, it can... A, give you the courage to step into it and give you hope. If I just had had just an ounce of hope, I had desperation. I had, I need to do this because I'm going to die. I had a lot of things, but I didn't have a lot of hope. I did when I started coming alive and I started kind of seeing the good on the other side of it. Mm -hmm. You know, I face difficulties and hardship in a much different way now because I've seen it. I've seen it work in my own life. And, uh, Adversity is something that I'm not afraid of. Because if you look at all the people that you admire, whether it's somebody that you work with or like some a grandparent or what, they've all experienced something, this knockdown, drag out, yeah, you know, moment in their life. And if we can just remember that when we're facing difficulty and be reminded of that so that we can have the courage to actually walk through it, that the best among us, it's not like 
oh, I made it through that. It's like I was made through that. Um, mm. Adversity is just, it's, it is a game changer. All that, all that hard stuff is such a game changer in living a bigger yeah. life. I love that perspective because I think so often in our lives, like you were saying, we just want to have the quick fix. We don't want to say, oh, and I think it also keeps us from actually acknowledging the pain and the trauma in our past is just to keep moving forward when there's not space for you to say, hey, I own this. This was a really hard thing that I walked through and I'm on the other side of that. Yes. Hey there, friends. If you found your way to the Living Centered podcast, you might already know about Onsite's flagship in-person experience from which our podcast derives its name. But what you may not know is that you can now experience our transformational and life-changing Living Centered program at both our Tennessee and California campuses. This world-renowned group experience is designed to remove you from your day-to-day, the hustle and the bustle, and help you get back to yourself and the life you actually want to be living. Because y'all, life has a way of getting the best of us. We spend our days chasing activity, achievements, and accolades, Yet somewhere along the way, we forget why we started chasing them in the first place. As Mallory shares in this episode, we begin to function as human doings instead of remembering that we are human beings. Sometimes we need to reset to remember who we are and what we actually want. So, if you're ready to rewrite your narratives and resolve the areas of your life that feel stuck, reclaim your emotions and thoughts and life experiences, we invite you to connect with our admissions team. You can email admissions at onsiteworkshops.com or give us a call at 800-341-7432. Hey, Mallory, I just, I got thinking when you were talking about what you lacked was really hope. And it made me think of this quote that I once read from Jess Ekstrom. And so I pulled it up while you were talking because I wanted to get it just right. But she says, both optimism and anxiety require us to imagine something that hasn't happened yet. If we have the ability to worry about the future, it also means we have the ability to imagine a better one. Hannah and I have talked a lot about the difference between anxiety and hope, and I really, I think they're they're cousins in that it means that we have the capacity to believe for a different future. Anxiety, Mm -hmm. we're often thinking of the worst case scenario, but hope is we have the capacity to hope that something could be better. And so- I love that. I love that encouragement that you were just sharing of, but what if it could be better? And I know that this work on the other side of that will be good because I've seen it in the past and leaning into the places that you've been resilient. I feel like that's just conversations we've had a lot on this podcast recently Mm -hmm. is what's in your backpack? What do you have from your, we always say that, like, what can you draw from in your story? What are the resources that you've already used that you can say, I was resilient in this place, and therefore I know I can be resilient again, and I can imagine a different future. Yes. So those are just kind of the thoughts that I was having um, as you were talking. Exactly. And I love what you said. I've never heard anyone say that, that anxiety and hope are cousins, because they seem like like they're they're from different countries. They're totally, everything's different. They speak different languages. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think that's very well said because if you can just shift your perspective, I wrote a chapter about that too. Uh, my grandma used to say, when you wake up in the morning, you have two choices. Good morning, Lord, or good Lord, it's morning. And that little, you know, it's the same words. It's the same mm-hmm. phrase, but it's two totally different ways to greet the day and how perspective. I'm not trying to tell people be Pollyanna and be just happy, like gloss over everything and brush things out of the rug. And let's just not talk about what's going on. It's very opposite of that. But perspective is very much what you're talking about with hope and anxiety, Mm -hmm. because it's two different. It's you're you're looking at the future in both of them. Are you going to think of it as anxious or are you going to think of it as hopeful? And sometimes perspective perspective is like the only thing that you need to shift sometimes Mm -hmm. when you're just feeling a little bit off or when you're feeling a little bit out of control or anxious or whatever it is, that can be such a powerful shift if you can shift your perspective. And I love the idea of, um, I think that's why I believe so much in doing your own personal work and doing your own therapy work, because if you haven't gone back and done some of that healing, you don't recognize those lessons you've learned. And so that perspective could feel empty if you haven't done that. Um, Yes. And so like by the fact that I've gone back and identified my resilience in my past, I've seen the areas that I've been overcome hard things. Then, then that's not just 
wishful thinking. Like it's actually mm-hmm. grounded. Like I am resilient. I have can have self-compassion. I can have these different things um, because we've been there before and because we can see it's going to happen yeah. again. So it's not yes. just just out there in the blue, hopeful thinking. It's, it's grounded in who we are and what we know yes. the future can be. Yeah. And I like it that you said that too, because that's, that's why I had to write this book. People didn't know this part of my story. People didn't know, and like HIPAA laws, I mean, they couldn't tell the the treatment facility I was at. Like they can't tell that I was there. That was a secret. It's still Mm -hmm. until this book comes out. Now it's not a secret. But I, as as an online personality, I was sharing all the, you can live a better life without the story of my resilience. Mm -hmm. And Hannah, you just hit the nail on the head because that's why I had to write this story because there are so many people online right now and so many young people on TikTok mm-hmm. and Instagram that are saying, live this way. Here's how you do it. Here's, you know, yeah. wake up in the morning and do this as your morning routine. And if you don't know their backstory, it just falls on deaf ears. People need to t- need to know that other people have been steeped in, in the yeah. darkness and kind of come out on the other side to give legs to the things that they're saying. And yeah. I knew what I was sharing and what I was starting to share on social media was was grounded in something, but people didn't know why. Yeah. yeah. And I think we don't we don't root for people that don't have adversity. I remember reading that one time. Yeah. And it yeah. was it was kind of a, a perspective shifter and maybe a paradigm shifting for me because for so long I'd be like, and this is this new thing that I have to overcome and it feels really like daunting and scary. And I remember reading, like, be a character worth rooting for. Like when I read a book, I'm not rooting for that character who has had a really easy life. I want them to yeah. have seen some shit. Yes. And I remember, <laughs> like, we don't root for people who haven't seen shit mm-hmm. and like done it and overcome. And I And I love that you are choosing to write this from a place of, hey, I want to show you why I am coming here. And it's even changed the way that I approach some of the work that I do in therapy because I know I want to be a character worth rooting for. And what I'm experiencing, it -hmm. deserves the weight and the attention that I'm giving it. Like I walked through a really hard season of grief a couple of years ago and I said to my therapist, don't let me up from this spot. Like I want to sit in it. I want to honor this. I, I had a miscarriage and I said, I want to honor this baby mm-hmm. and I want to sit in the grief because that is not what's normal for mm-hmm. me. But I mm-hmm. also know I want to be someone that's rooting for and I want to be changed and different. And so yeah. yes. that's my encouragement today. Be a character worth rooting for, you know? And I would yeah. quickly say that like everyone is. Like yeah, we, we all just have are. to be able to look at it and identify it. I would yes. hate for someone to count themselves out because they Hannah. think, oh, well, my story is not traumatic enough or my story hasn't faced enough. Very true. Because it's, we've all, we all face adversity, whether it's yes. um, like we can't quantify how big or how small it is. But if we don't look at it, then we aren't putting ourselves into our own story. Yes. I love how we define trauma at onsite. Yeah. Well, yeah. at onsite, we say trauma is anything less than nurturing. And so yeah. we don't have to have had experienced ABC um, yeah. to, to learn how to navigate adversity, to understand our own resilience through our challenges. Um, we just have to be able to look at it and enter into it and sit yeah. with it. And so mm-hmm. that's what I hope everyone hears too, that you have the ability to step into it, to be in your own story and show up to it openly, vulnerably, and authentically. Because that's I think where the magic happens. It's just being honest with it. I agree. And Mackenzie too, I, I experienced four, I had four miscarriages um, this mm. year before this pregnancy. Oh, and I goodness. did tell that story and it came, I came off of um, my sister um, carried a baby full term, 40 weeks. And he had a heart defect that they thought they would be able to fix. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. I tell this story in my book too. And she lost uh, her first child at like, th- he was 34 days old. Mm-hmm. And that was such a traumatic uh, yeah. experience for her and for our whole family to go through. I'm from this very, very close family. So when I had, sh- very shortly after that, my first miscarriage, and I'd already had, I already had two children, I thought, you know, it wasn't what she went through. And I, I honestly, I still believe that. It wasn't what she went through, but it was still it mattered. Then yeah. I experienced another one right yeah. after that. And I didn't, t- I didn't tell anyone. My husband knew, mm-hmm. my OB knew. But I didn't tell my family because I was like, you know, I discounted it because of what we're just mm-hmm. talking about right now, because I felt, well, it's, you know, it's not, it's not what she went through. And I'm, I'm thankful I didn't have to go through that. Then when I experienced a third one, and this is all within like six months, and I started to question, what is my family going to look like moving forward? What, what mm. is what I felt like I was asking, like, what is wrong with me? What's yeah. happened to, you know, 
I started sharing that story with my family. And my family immediately, even my sister was like, why didn't you tell me? Yeah. yeah. Like, I've lost a baby too. I know that it's different, but like part of it is the same. Mm-hmm. And I learned, uh, even though I'd done so much work around all of this, it's very easy to fall into that, well, my story is not as, it's not the same as as this person. And then, you know, yeah. I went on to experience a fourth one. And then after that fourth one, you know, and I'm pregnant now and think they figured out what was going on. I hadn't shared it publicly. And... I waited until I was ready to share it publicly because I do think that there's a lot of oversharing. And yeah. I think in good in good spirit, people want to feel better. Mm-hmm. They want to feel connected. But I think that for me, I needed to feel connected to the people that I was closest to yeah. before yeah. I put it out to such a large audience. Yeah. Because you can't, you cannot determine how people will receive it. No. And um, I finally shared about that. I didn't know if I would ever share it, but I did decide to. And I admire you, Mackenzie. For wanting to to sit in that grief and honor that, because I I tried for a long time to move out of it as quickly as I could and just to get to the other side, which was yeah. another pregnancy that worked out. But like you know, looking back at it, and I did some work at onsite. Actually, the first group of people that I told was mm. my my group at onsite, mm. and gosh, Jim Chris is uh, he was mm-hmm. my counselor, and he is such an amazing leader and so gentle and so. Yeah. It was my group was really special and was really a place for me to share that for the first time that felt safe and reminded me that letting people in on and honoring the things that have happened in our lives, mm-hmm. it always ends good. Like we yeah. have to get out of our own heads and realize that bringing those things, the light of day is a much better place to manage these things than like yeah. all of these shadows that we keep a lot of things in. Mm. So, yeah. Thank I, you for sharing that. Yeah. I think sharing your story and sharing with people is what heals us. Like we, yeah, uh, onsite, the right we people, say, right, a hundred percent. I love that you decided you need to share with your family first before sharing even the good news of being pregnant right now. Like with the online world, you got to do it mm-hmm. when it's right with you because safety is so important. Um, yeah. But at onsite, we say like we're wounded in community, we're hurt by people, so we have to heal in community. We have to heal with people, and yeah. I love even the concept of time, kind of all this together of how you're you're. Your book is by sharing your story. You're creating space for other people to do that. Um, And same with the work that we do at OnSite. Like you said, so many of our clinicians are masterful. They are so good at what they do. But they just help create a container. For the most part, they're they're not doing your work. They're not healing for you. They're creating a space for you to do that. But you being able to share with your group members some of the heaviest things of your life, you being able to share your hopes, you being able mm-hmm. to sit with someone who maybe has experienced trauma that you think, man, I, I could never go through something like them. Mm-hmm. But then them to look at you and say, wow, thank you so much for sharing that. It, it yes. takes away the comparison and just allows us all to be human together and care for each other together. Yeah. And so I love that you got to experience that in the power of therapeutic work, but you're also trying to create that by sharing your story in your writing and in your life um, and just bringing congruence between all of the amazing things that you get to use your voice in. You get to share your story in a time where it feels appropriate for you. You've done your own personal work and reflecting yeah. on it. And now you're in a place where you're ready to say, come along, look at, look, let this be an example for you to now embrace your own story, my own story as a reader mm-hmm. and as a listener mm-hmm. um, to live a life that's more full. So I love that. Yes. I love that you use the word congruence too, because I think that's the reason that I finally shared this story. Because I said to myself, I kept getting DMs from people that would see me show up in the life that I'd created, but they couldn't figure it out. You know, they would say, I wish I could wake up and be just, and feel the joy that it seems like you feel or have the relationships that it seems like you have. And I would send a DM back and be like, oh gosh, I've been through this thing. I actually went to, you know, I went through this, this huge thing in my life and I chose to live this way and I continue to choose to live this way. People were always like, wait, what? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, cause I think that, I think people think that people that just show up with joy and face life a different way, or just born that way. Right. Yeah. And the the truth is, mm-hmm. 90% of them aren't. They've been through something. And so yeah. I said, I have to share that. I have to yeah. share the rest yeah. of my story. Yeah. Uh, because I cannot guide people or inspire people to live fully if I don't tell them how I did it. Yeah. And uh, I'm so glad that I had the courage because I also have a history of, I really want everyone to like me. Yeah. And... It is much easier to get people to like you, you think, in your mind, sure. if you only show them the good stuff. Mm-hmm. And I I always thought to myself, you know, how will people perceive me 
if they know I spent six months in a treatment program. I know how they'll perceive me if they know I did Miss America and I did all these shows and I'm this sparkly person that shows up every day. But how will they perceive me when they hear this side of the story? And I pushed through that fear. Yeah, yeah. Because um, that is not, that's no longer the most important thing to me. The most important thing to me is using what I've been through and the way that I live now and truly influencing people in a different way. It's awesome to show them the clothes that I'm wearing and the makeup tutorials and the recipes and the kids' clothes and all those things. Those are part of life. And But it's very important because I have this side of my story yeah. to yeah. share this side of my story. And yeah. um, I just started feeling like it was incongruent not to. Yeah. I love that. I, I love think- that phrase. I think what people um, forget about when they see influencers or people that appear happy or joyful is that when you turn off bad emotions, you also turn off your ability to access good yeah. ones. Amen. And so like anyone that we see looking really happy or joyful also experiences the depth of that. Yeah. They, they experience the breadth of that because you can't selectively numb your emotions. I don't know who talks about that. Maybe no. Brene Brown or something. Brene, but, I think, yeah. Um, yeah, she talks about, yeah, you can't selectively choose which ones. And mm-hmm. so vice versa, when you experience pain, you can experience that joy. And if you're a person that's numbing out, using any kind of numbing, like we've talked about a lot of numbing, you don't have to be a person like reading this book or a person going on site. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to have, you know, an addiction or, you know, all right. of these red flags flashing your, your face, you know, but I didn't have all those things either for the first 24 years of my sure. life. You know, I mean, there are so many different ways of numbing out emotions. And that was the first thing that I first realized when they took the substances away, I realized, oh my gosh, in numbing out all the bad, I numbed out all the yeah. good. And like yeah. I, everything was pretty good. It was, it wasn't bad as bad as it was, you know, at the end of the substance abuse. And you forget because mm-hmm. it happens so slowly. Mm-hmm. And whether you're using, you know, another thing that I use now to numb is busyness, yeah. distracted living. So the second half of living fully, I'm speaking to these people that are just fine. They are distracted and busy, but they hear the voice in the back of their head or they're the person that thinks they're complacent and they think you can have, Hannah can have that life and Mackenzie can have that life, but like I can't Not me. because yeah. I'm different. Things are different for me. Or they think it's, you know, smoky. It's all smoke and mirrors. They hear the voice, but they're going to act like everything's okay on the outside. You know, there are all these ways that we keep ourselves in this state of just being fine and I want people to rage against that for this bigger life because I've found another way to live. But also I'm a person that I'm speaking to in this book because you don't just stay there. The last chapter in this book that I wrote is called Defy Gravity because it's just the way that the world is and the way that we are. We get so inspired. We go to onsite or we read a book that really Mm -hmm. resonated with us or we go to a therapy session or we listen to a podcast. And we're, we were like, the light bulb goes off and we find the answer. We implement that. We feel yep. a little bit better. And then gravity pulls you back down to baseline yeah. again yep. and to fine and to, oh, I don't want to take the risk because everything's kind of good right now and it's fine. And what I want people to do is to continue. I want this to be like your wake up call, this book, mm-hmm. yeah. but I want it to also be your stay awake call because that's mm. what I have to do every day to keep living fully. I have to keep staying awake to when I slip back into that complacent way of being and the distracted and busy way where my legacy is not in the front of my mind mm-hmm. or where I'm being led by fear or whether I'm becoming attached to something that good or bad is not who I am at my core. I have to constantly stay awake to that. I, I want to live a different way. I, living mm-hmm. fully is living a different way. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so that's the the last chapter of my book is this like, wake up, but then stay, <laughs> stay, awake. stay awake, close yeah. my book and put it on the shelf. Yes. Like you did all the other books, but then remember this, remember that it's not about me. It's only about the message. Remember mm-hmm. this message and remember that you want to live a different way. And remember that life can be so much more than just in the middle and fine mm-hmm. and easy and okay. And remember that and then fight for it. Yeah. I appreciate um, that call. I think you are you are calling people to something that I would reckon and say that we all deserve. We all deserve to live holistic, connected, wholehearted lives. I think that's just such a beautiful place to end today. And sometimes I think it's unglamorous the ways that we can stay awake. And it's unglamorous the ways that we have to continue to remind ourselves or to get back into the rhythm. Um, so what is one practice um, that keeps you centered and keeps you living fully or living connected? 
anytime I am thrown a curveball in life, so we've talked about it in all different ways. We said adversity or trauma or just a curveball that you didn't expect that kind of knocks you off your rocker a little bit. When I'm making that next decision, sometimes my instinct is to make that next decision out of fear or out of, I just want to get out of this feeling or I just right. want to move yeah. past what, what has just happened. Mm-hmm. How I stay centered and like living centered, living fully, I really, before I make that decision, I say, what are my priorities? What are the priorities in my life? How, what is the most important thing to me? And how do I want to live? I really think about that. And I make my decision out of that rather than this person who's just gotten rejected or lost a job or this this spastic way that we get when we've been thrown a curveball in life. I think if we can just ground ourselves and remember our priorities, I think we can live in a much different way uh, if we do that. So that's one thing that I do because I get thrown curveballs all the dang time. That's <laughs> how we even define our living center program. So I love that you said that yeah. is is helping people bring congruence between their thoughts, values, and and what they do. And so yeah. how they're living their life, bringing alignment to that because that's ultimately yes. what's going to produce – what's going to make me live the most full life is not going to be the same that's going to bring you the most full life. Exactly. And so what's important to me? How do we align our thoughts, values, and beliefs into that? And then how do we start living towards that? So I love mm-hmm. that you yeah. – that you said that about your values. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for spending some time with us. We're so excited for your new book. Um, and we are just so grateful that you are stepping out and sharing how you ended up here and sharing the other side of that thank story you. because I think it, it's going to help a lot of people. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I'm so grateful to Onsite, to this podcast, to, to Miles. You know, there's so mm. many people involved with living centered and on-site and milestones as as a whole that are do helping people to do what someone helped me to do, yeah. which if someone hadn't helped me do that, I would, A, I would not be here and B, I would not be writing this book. So you guys are doing really important work. And mm-hmm. of all the you know podcasts that I'm able to be on in this book marketing thing, this was yeah. a really special one for me because you guys are ones that are really, you're you are walking the walk and talking the talk. And I uh, just, I'm very grateful to be able to be featured on this platform because of that. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening today and for committing valuable time to share space with these powerful stories. Make sure you hit subscribe to get all of our inspiring conversations with these incredible people delivered directly to you. And if you found this conversation particularly impactful, consider supporting the show by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. When our emotional health is suffering, many of us begin to feel alone and overwhelmed. If you're in that place right now, we deeply encourage you to ask for help. If OnSite can support you in connecting the dots with one of our programs or other offerings, our admissions team would love to connect with you. Simply call 1-800-341-7432 or visit onsiteworkshops.com.